Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome back to the Talking Blarney podcast, where we wade through the Blarney to tell you about the real Ireland. My name is Stuart McNamara, and I'm here with my co-host, who might not actually be Irish, Robert Cross. Well, that's a matter of debate there, Stu. <laughs> People can You've be Irish of many, time. many things. <laughs> I know yeah. that accent's fake. It's like, you're on to me, my dear boy. However, did you, I rather did you guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rob here, guys. How are you? Despite my name, I am Irish. I was born and raised here. <laughs> <laughs> Show us the proof. Yeah. Before, before I, if anyone does ask, we think it's a Scottish surname originally, but it could be English. Not really too sure. My money's on Scottish from the bit of research I've done. So who knows? Well, we can only hope. The good part of Scotland, I think. <laughs> <laughs> by, by which I mean, it looks... Genuinely, did a, on a side though, we did, I did some genealogy because I don't have an Irish name. We always thought it, it came from England because and my family has been in Limerick for a very long time and we were, you know, we're able to track things down a little bit better because as, as, as Stu might have worked out um, because of my name, some of my family were originally Protestant before they <sighs> intermarried and largely became Catholic. So there's, there's, okay, there's, some, the there's, some, there's some better records in some Protestant churches. I found like my great, great grandparents getting married in Waterford of all places, which was you know, none, none of us knew anything about that. I can tell you um, poor fella living in Waterford. But, you know, we, we, we tried to kind of trace it back a bit and I found some evidence that it might actually uh, come from Aberdeen in Scotland, um, which is interesting. So, you know, let's, uh, let's jump right into uniquely <laughs> Irish. Uh, Just a so, rant. So this week, uh, in honor of what was airing yesterday uh, for us, because it is Saturday. Uh, I think we should talk a little bit about the Late Late Toy Show. Yeah, well, I, I'll be honest with you, Stu. Uh, I didn't watch it last night because I never watch it. But uh, well, I, got, I mean, I, I got think the we're a little bit too old Twitter. now to be watching it, Rob. I got the gist of it on Twitter. Yeah, so um, the the Late Late Show to start off with is kind of our late night chat show. You know, similar to um, I don't know the Daily Show or late night with whoever's on that now. I think um, I think it'd be more on along with like the Tonight Show, I think would probably be the, the, the more apt yes. comparison to our American listeners. I guess maybe um like Mike Michael Parkinson's old show if you're if you're English might be more kind of appropriate. Um but it's it's very 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 long running Stu. I mean this uh, well, 1962 this started the same year as we we got television in this country. Yeah. So uh, we've had that around for a long time and I think it was 1994 they started the Late Late Toy Show, which is a once a year event coming up to Christmas where the, the host of the Late Late Show goes on uh, with a, a load of toys that have, I think, been donated from various, um, it's generally, various toy distributors. It's generally Smith's, I think, and Ken Burns do it. They, they, very much at the, yeah. the main kind of Irish toy shop. I think um, so certainly I think a lot of Irish people will kind of be like, oh, going to Smith's uh, was always a, a hope on a, on a Saturday afternoon, wasn't it, Stu? You'd be you'd be going up there. And I remember it was 
there used to be a massive smith shop for us in Limerick on Henry Street, right across from the, the guard at the police station. In, in oh, Limerick. yes, right down from my old school, Rob. That, so any day yeah, exactly. I wanted a toy, I could come out and pretend I was upset, and it was down the road to Smith's. Yeah, that was great. I, I think any Limerick people in particular will remember it because it had like the, remember they like they put in like the tech section at the very end so it had the fancy opening doors and like you had all the PlayStation games down there and then the rest of it was oh, just like a, Back a when warehouse. technology came to Ireland. Yeah, that was great. Um, and we had that massive toy master they opened down the dock road, but uh, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, the, the Late Late Toy Show, as I said, it has the host of the Late Late Show, uh, a load of toys that have been donated from various toy distributors. And what happens is there's a bunch of kids and uh, throughout the course of the night, he goes around uh, to different age groups, really asking the kids who have kind of had time to play with the toys, a bit about the toys, you know, why they're cool, why they like them and stuff like that. And it, it's it's basically a way to show kids what they might want for Christmas. It's It's a strange thing. Uh, and I don't know why it hasn't been picked up in other countries because you'd think it's an obvious way of just promoting toys. Um, it, it, it really gets is. a bit cringy. Oh no, it does, as we know. But <laughs> I'm just kind of surprised. But overall, it's a great thing, and I think this year they even uh, they were doing it partly for charity, and so they always kind of raise money for something. Oh, they raised five million this year, Stu, in two hours during yeah. the course of the show. Like in, just just in Ireland, like five million euros. It's not bad for Ireland. That's pretty good in two hours like um yeah i mean i if any of our like any other foreign listeners would like to kind of give us a shout and be like is there something in your country or that's anything like this is there like an an annual kind of toy based kids kind of version of a a, a, a kind of syndicated talk show I, I i don't i'm not aware of any other ones in quite the same sense yeah i mean it, it's like it's the one it's the one night a year that kids are allowed to stay up late because it's on a friday night and obviously it's on the late late show and so you're staying up well past your bedtime to just watch all of these toys being paraded in front of you and shown off. And, you know, they'll have all the... It's, the always, it's always a treat, too, I think. Like, it's... Um, they'd always have, like, a big opening, from from what I recall. Like, you know, they'd, they'd have... It'd be, like, it'd be, like, outside RT, and they'd be coming in, like, a horse or, like... Um, I know one year it was, like, they had, they had like, a hovercraft yeah, thing, wasn't it? Last year... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Greatest Showman. Last year they had, like, a theme of The Greatest Showman, and so they did, like... A performance of that with with uh, some performers from Ireland and stuff, and it's always a big thing. And one of the the sweetest parts about it is they always have like some of the kids who either you know similar. I don't even know what it's similar to, but uh, who have had like troubles in their lives or whatever. And yeah. They bring out like a celebrity that they love or something like that goes on. Uh, I think in the past they, they have. Had, like, a, I, I know there's that. been something. One of the guys got like the Spice Girls coming out behind him. I remember watching that because I at the time I was very jealous of him because I was. Quite young at the time, but I, I was like, no, I definitely, I definitely have a thing for baby slice Emma Bunton. As I, I think Stu, Stu was well aware, and I was like, <laughs> and she kissed him on the cheek, and I was like, oh, you lucky little bastard, you. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's always a sight because the, the kids, either they're really good, yeah, at like being on television, or they're really bad. Oh, in the like, funniest it, that's way That's what possible. kind of makes it. And I think that there's it, like people who become celebrities for just being on the late late toy show just because of the performance they do like it's either the kids that are like adults and they're like telling you know the host like ryan toby or pat pat kenny in particular and he used to do just like no is it pat this is how the toy works and everything i'll just take and just like letting let taking over the show for a few minutes it's great or like when you have the, the little the, oh yeah he'll, he'll kind of play up that yeah. he doesn't understand how they work 
Uh, Gay Byrne, the original host, was he, now he was like ever, like the nation's grand. We talked about him a little before in the podcast, but he he was kind of the best for it because you could tell he really didn't understand some of the more modern toys. Like whenever he'd get like a Game Boy or <laughs> anything fancy like that, it was just like he's doesn't doesn't know what's going on here. So that was always a bit funny. Um, but I think as well, they had like the very they had like the very small kind of kids come on at bits, and they're like they're now they're not doing anything too complicated. Still, it was just like a little kind of push chair or something like that, or um one of like the the very kind of simplistic color things that you know they can't swallow and sometimes that's a bit of a disaster because they just start bawling crying for their mother and like it, it that I was like oh that didn't happen in rehearsals kind of a thing <laughs> yeah but just i was checking there my apologies it was actually 1975 it started not 1994 i, I was thinking I yeah i was from. thinking that didn't sound right to yeah, me yeah so it's yeah. been around for a very long time because i i have a i suppose if i talk about a few of our memories of it still maybe um because I, one of the bits I remember very vividly, I think it was probably about 2001, 2002, I think. And so I think I was like right about the kind of middle age for the, the show. So I, I would have been about nine. So I was like, I think kind of the right age for kind of the most things on it, if you will. And I distinctly remember they had like a bunch of Robot Wars toys on. Now it was I. Like, as do will attest if I used to love Robot Wars quite a lot when it originally was out. Um, I saw it be like Battle Bots for like any American viewers. It was like you built a robot and you you fought it, and BBC put it on television, and it was um really really entertaining. But you'd you know you'd you'd want to get the toys of the specific robots, or um you know the hip, everyone would do like Hypno Disc or Razor. They were the big ones, or yeah, the house robots. And this guy had to get a remote control Sir Killalot, which was like the main um house robot one of the main robots on the show and it was like big it was big enough now Stu. it must have been about um up to your knee almost you can move it around remote control had all these things i was like oh that's class and the host goes well i've got one here let me give my one a go and then he actually had the real sir killalock come in and destroy the set (laughs) yeah like they do big things like that so i just remember that quite vividly yeah which i which i really enjoyed and I do remember one as well. They, I, I, I don't know if it was the same one, but it, it must have been around the same era. And they had this girl on. I think she was from Limerick. I think my mother knew her mother or something like that. Because that was always the exciting thing as well, wasn't it, Stu? That, you know, it's like if, if you knew someone that was on or that was in one of the groups that would get on, it was like, uh, well, maybe I'll try and get on next year because everyone would be applying for uh, the audience tickets in particular. Because you were in the audience. Yeah, it's like the, the Oprah show. The whole phrase. And yeah. One for everyone in the audience. But like, if you're on the late late toy show, you got the audience tickets for that. You were coming home with a big bag of toys, basically, Stu, wasn't it? Like, you you were going to be getting loads of things for free, and your your house would be delighted in Christmas time because you'd be getting a big bundle of stuff. Well, the other girl on, I think she was from Limerick anyway. I can't remember, can't remember who, but she, I think she was doing the book review because there's always, always do book review bits in this as well, and. I think the, I think it was Pat Kenny at the time was like, oh yeah, I understand you do a bit of acting. Would you like to do a monologue for us? And she goes, of course, and he puts on the flat paddy cap and she does um, a bit from Unbelievables, you know, Bridie's christening, which is a fantastic monologue, does the whole thing perfectly in the accent, including saying it was all feckin' lovely. And obviously she wasn't supposed to say that line, I think. <laughs> so I just see Pat Kenny laughing his head off in the background. <laughs> yeah, they do some great stuff. But as I said, I think for myself, the uh, the cringy stuff is kind of what I remember most from it because, like, you yeah. always have like the, the very quiet kids, but you also have some incredibly outspoken kids. And I don't know if it would be unfair to say that they would be more of the the country kids who would be kind of the, just <laughs> just not not in a disparaging way, but they just have like a sense of character about them that city kids never really got. 
at that age. And so they'd like, they'd almost be like tiny adults having, having these conversations with the host and just, you know, the, the way they were talking was always just so funny. I'm sure there are a myriad of clips yeah. on, on YouTube and that. And of course, you know, if you have a VPN, not that we're sponsored by any, uh, you could probably go to RTE now and uh, watch it yourself. Yeah, no, I, I'm pretty, I think they actually did put out this year's one kind of region free across the world because there is a lot of Irish people coming oh, home course, for Christmas yeah. and it is kind of a part of it. So that's that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is very much, I, I think like just to, to give a, a few brief notes of kind of the, the common themes in it, if you will. Um, there's always like a bit at the end, I think it's the Billy Barricades. They're like kind of a song and dance kind of school in Dublin. Uh, kind of very known across the country. And it's basically, they'll always do like a, a routine at some point in the show. Um, you know, kind of dance about something contemporary or like the show is generally themed as well. Like this year was rolled out. Uh, they, they did like a bunch of things in that regard. So that would be pretty common as well. Um, so I think we'll leave it there for the Late Late Toy Show and we'll jump in to the report for this week, uh, which I'm doing. And Rob has a bit of a supplementary then, uh, which like you can jump in and out. I mean, there, yeah. there's a lot. Well, not a lot, but enough to get through. Um, we'll be doing a fair bit. So yeah. In case anyone's wondering, like it's getting to December and I, well, I am working full time. I do have some college exams as well. So I'm quite busy at the moment, so I can't put in as much work as I'd like to. So Stu was very graciously offered to, you know, give me give me a little bit of a break from watching a massive film this week. So thank you, Stu. <laughs> right. So this week we're going to talk about The Stage Irish, which is something that uh, was recommended to us very early on uh, through Reddit. As we've seen many times throughout the podcast, uh, the Irish people in culture we see in movies and TV shows are incredibly far removed from what Ireland is actually like. For example, Wild Mountain Time, which we uh, will definitely get to as soon as it's out. The good news, too, is cinemas will be open uh, from Monday as per our lockdown restrictions. So there is a chance, listeners, we will be able to see this in the cinema when it comes out. Oh, we really hope to. So anyway, from far and away to the Yank, the stereotypes of drunk paddies with thick leprechaun accents and a backwards way of thinking are everywhere. Uh, the tropes of the Irish have been around for centuries, uh, but where did it come from and how did it get to where it is now is the big question. Uh, so word of warning, there's one little part of this report that gets not dicey, but uh, it's it's a little mildly uncomfortable Oh but Jesus! I'll I'll give another warning when I get to it. Uh, Jesus, Steve, what did so you do? The beginnings of, <laughs> I'm worried now. I did the research, Rob. I did a lot of research for this. Thank you, Steve. I was looking through Google Books and everything. I found a play from like the 1600s. Oh my God! There's a lot. <laughs> uh, so the beginnings of the stage Irish tradition go all the way back to when Ireland was under the rule of the British Empire. Surprise, surprise. Always does. Uh, like most of the countries, like most of the countries which had been conquered by the British at the time, uh, they had a very negative attitude and view towards the, the places uh, that they had uh, taken over. You know, there was a lot of negative stereotypes that they'd used for their own amusement uh, because they had bested the other people and they were better than them. You know, they were superior, the superior empire who would come and uh, take in their land. Uh, so any country that was taken over was considered. Uh, uh, only for its resources, and the people were merely uneducated Neanderthals who were happy to be their servants. So that mindset obviously kind of leaked into the media of the day, which was the theatre. So stage Irish uh, in theatre goes back all the way, as far as I could find, 
1662 in uh, Robert Howard's play Committee or The Faithful Irishman. And now I actually found this on the internet, so it's something that you can read. Um, it's kind of, you know, Shakespeare-esque in the, in the writing style, so it's a little odd to read, but it's kind of cool knowing that they, they have this really old manuscript for a play from so long ago. So in the play, uh, the character Teague uh, is the first documented example, once again, that I could find uh, of a stage Irish character. A quote from the play about him says, uh, there, is, there the Irish servant makes a show of false naivety in order to outwit the parliamentarians beleaguering his royalist master. So this is kind of showing uh, at first... It's the English Civil War, I presume, then, is yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's around then. Uh, so it's showing first uh, that he's lower class, obviously, he's like the, the servant of his royalist master, but also like yeah. he's using what, what kind of homespun cleverness he has uh, to aid his English uh, master at the same time. I presume from what you're, you're kind of saying there, Stu, that it, it was royalist and the parliamentarians, that's in regards to the English Civil War. Well, you're not an English history podcast, so we're not going to go into that now. But I, I think needless to, needless to say, that would it would have been uh, just before the Restoration. What, what year did you say that came out? 1662, was it? Yeah, it was that. Yeah, so the, the uh, Restoration, with Charles II be, becoming king again and the Commonwealth falling was in uh, 1660. So I would presume this is kind of saying, ah, yeah, everything was fine there and everything will be grand because after King Charles I, his father was removed and had his head chopped off. Um, Oliver Cromwell took over. And as any Irish person will tell you, Cromwell um, is viewed as basically the incarnation of the devil in this country. Um, (laughs) Terrible, terrible things here. So I need, need, needless to say, so I, I, I think for the sounds of things, Stu, from my own kind of knowledge, it's w- would appear to be kind of um, uh, talking up the royalists, basically being like, oh yeah, we obviously were the best. That's why we won the the well, we kind of won the civil war in our view. We didn't really, and everything is grand, and we're going. It's great. We have kings again now, and we'll just pretend all that Cromwell stuff never happened. L- literally, they struck it from the record, but. Uh, I think it's a very important uh, point in Irish history because of. Um, a lot of the stuff in the north that we've talked about as well between like loyalists and nationalists um you know even the orange order kind of goes back to you know the battle of the boyne between the the royalists and the parliamentarians and how the you know how how, how that all happened um it, it, although it wasn't ultimately how it ended that was the the war of the two kings which is much later um it, it does all kind of start here and the whole cromwell coming over to ireland and how even the irish war fighting with the the royalists at one point because we were like well this king has kind of offered a few bits and bobs about it because one of his sons might be a catholic so it's like yeah so i think it it, it sounds like it is a bit propaganda i suppose you could say but not in a necessary yeah i, I think it was it way. was hard to find it's hard to find a real uh explanation of the plot but from what i gathered yeah. it's like the teague's master sent him over while while they were both living in ireland i think he sent uh teague over to try to save his son, who I assume was being imprisoned by the parliamentarians. And so that's kind of his yeah, job Yeah, that for sounds them. about right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then uh, a number of stage Irish characters would pop up after this, including Captain McMorris in Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare's Henry V, uh, although I think he was a bit more competent than the, the average stage Irish character. And uh, James Farwell's poem, The Irish Hudebra, uh where he parodies a Latin epic by replacing the creatures of hell with people from Finglas. <laughs> it's it 
like I was reading a bit about it and it, it's weird. <laughs> um, but the, the, the demons of hell are oh people from God. Finglas. And uh, it's like it's parodying like they're they're speaking like demon tongue is Irish and they're wearing like Irish clothes. And that's supposed to be the, this mad wild stuff parodying a, a Latin I, I, epic. I, 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 I do have like a friend from English, so I'm sure to love <laughs> listening to this podcast. Uh, uh, it, it, interesting side note: the the people in in Fingal, Fingless, uh, or Fingal, whatever you want to call it, um, did actually have their own dialect of English, uh, which is based on Old English, which actually existed for a very long time. The extinct Fingalian dialect. So have a look up about that. Oh. Actually, if you're interested, it's uh, it, it existed here. The word crack actually may have come from that dialect oh, right. in, in the sense that we use it now. So yeah. there you go. And so that poem also had a companion piece called Bog Witticisms. Oh, great. Yeah, which is kind of showing the the stupidity of the Irish. Obviously, it's like, oh, they're so witty with their, their bog kind of thinking, which is yeah, just we weird. We like the bogs, too. We all like the bog, the rattling bog. Don't start that. We'll be here all night. It's one of the podcasts is just the whole song. So if you don't know what the rattling bog is, look it up. Um I was once on a bus. I was once on a I was once on a bus up to Dublin to do in about primary school. Is like this is before the motorway was like finished and it, t- it took about three and a half hours and then we hit the Dublin traffic. I think at one point we managed to get up to twenty seven verses in the rattling bog. Like we were making stuff up at that Does point. Does it have twenty seven verses? I don't know, but I, I I think it's it's definitely got about 11 that I'd probably know, but I think we just kept adding bits and kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, but it, 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 kept, it kept going. Jesus, you'd want to have someone writing down. It kept going, Stu. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I suppose for anyone who, who doesn't know, it's kind of like the old lady who swallowed uh, a fly and so like continues on. She's eating more and more stuff, but it, obviously it's, it's in a bog this time. Yeah. But we digress as we usually do. So while theatre was dominant, the stage Irish persona could be broken down into two uh, distinct categories. There was the parasite slave and the braggart warrior. Wonderful. Yeah, of course. So the parasite slave uh, would have a load of Irish cliches, which show them as an insecure Celt, all while degrading himself and his homeland to the enjoyment of their British masters. So basically being happy to have been rescued from life in the savage Ireland, and acting like a snivelling worm to keep his master's uh, good side. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of the whole. Um, I, I was putting like the English is like the oh they're saving us from our savagery and we're only too happy to be rewarded. So like kind of the narrative that the whole white saver narrative I think is would it be what it's called. How are you going to get that with other people across the world? Like it's it's in kind of like some of Rudyard Kipling's work as well and. A few other places, the, the whole savages they they meet in some other lands because you know they didn't really consider us white at the time and really look down on us. That that sounds about right. Yeah, I was tr- I was finding it tricky to uh, to pick out a current example of even just like any character not e- having to be Irish. The only one I could think of was probably Wormtongue from the Lord of the Rings, yeah. where obviously he's kind of like for he's like sold out his own homeland to be part of Saruman's whole deal and kind of get the wealth and the women that he wants would be the, the closest thing that I could think of to like the parasite slave. I really. think it's more of, you know, something you'd, you'd kind of see about um, Jewish people as well in kind of a weird way. Um, there, there's something I wasn't able to find this thing because I wanted to talk about it a little bit, but it was this thing about how Irish people were considered to be 
Jewish in, in some capacity in some early English work. So it was something to do with they didn't trust Jews because they were non-Christian. They figured that the, the Irish people were distinct from British people because they were descended from like a Hebrew tribe or something like that. Like just a bunch of anti-Semitic racist nonsense that they came yeah, up with. Weird. But I, I couldn't find, you know, any anything about it. And just, there's like a certain combination of words I don't want to Google because I'm worried what's going to come up and I'm gonna be put on a I'm gonna be put on a list. So that's <laughs> oh, so that's like so that's one of them. So let's let's not get into it. But I I've heard crazy shit like that. <laughs> The braggart warrior then uh, would feign idiocy through the use of Blarney and Brogue to advance uh, himself in the world. Uh, so mostly using like luck and bluster to get himself out of situations kind of without actually fighting. Which is interesting because I mean, I know you're, you're going to talk in a second about the whole Irish kind of warrior class thing. But I mean, the, the Irish are kind of well known for being warriors and soldiers as, as, as much as being like poets and things like that. So I think like we, we certainly have like the whole gift of the gab and can talk ourselves out of situations. But I think Irish people are also known for fighting, Stu. And I, I, I think it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't really divorce one from the other in a sense. Of course, but we have to remember this is through the lens of the British Empire at the time. So it's like, oh, no, I'm just, saying, down I, I'm just saying I think it's bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the main goal of both uh, was broad humor through general buffoonery with dialogue filled with mistakes and malapropisms. So just to explain that one, because I had to look that up. Uh, so the use of wrong words in a sentence, like I will answer these alligators in my own time instead of allegations. Uh, and yeah. I found that's an actual quote from an Irish politician that uh, was rem- was unnamed in whatever interview he did. Yeah, I, I'd have a feeling I might know if that is due, if it's a more modern one. I mean, there there was the famous... Yeah, you know, like the the famous uh, Jackie Healy Ray one, where they were talking about putting gondolas down to um, Killarney National Park down in Kerry, a beautiful park, Stu, if, you, if you've ever been there, into like the lake there, like a gondola is the, the the boats from Venice, and he he was famously asking people, well, who's going to feed the gondolas? <laughs> and then there was an Irish uh, TV show, like a panel one in the the nineties and early two thousands. Dara Breen like, got a start there called "Don't Feed the Gondolas," and it was all kind of an in joke about that. It was all kind of like mock the week before mock the week. Rob, we're supposed to be saying that this isn't what Irish people are actually like. You do know that, right? <laughs> and now, there's, there's Ireland stew and there's Kerry. There's there's two completely different things. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so these stage Irish characters, anyway, were meant to be basically clowns uh, in the style of, I suppose, the Three Stooges in a way, just aiming its comedy to bring down the Irish as naive, dim-witted, and cowardly. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common trope you'd see with kind of Irish people, that they're kind of a bit uh, stupid. Um, but I think it kind of does go into more modern things as well. Yeah, but one of the things I just wanted to talk about, Stu, was it, it's a very famous case that I can recall. It happened, I don't even know if I was alive when this happened, but I remember hearing a lot about it was the British soap opera EastEnders, um, which some people might know it's on the BBC. It's kind of there. I, I don't know really what, what other um, soap operas exist in other countries. We've got Fair City over here, which I've never watched. Um, but, you know, it's, it's set in London and obviously a fair few of the characters would be of Irish descent. It's not atypical in, in that part of London. But there was like a bit where they went to Ireland to try and find some long lost characters family or something. And it was in the 90s. And like they went for the full, you know, there was a cow in the pub in this village because they're all dumb patties. And like one of the characters gets a pint poured over her head and there's all men, you know, doing that kind of shit. So like that stereotype didn't go away overnight. Oh yeah. Like it's it, still kind of it still happens there. at times. 
which is why we're here to call it out. Yeah, and I mean, it, it sort of still goes. I mean, the uh, David Kelly, who was a fantastic actor, uh, Irish actor, people might know him from as the grandfather in the um, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake, the one with Johnny Depp that Tim Burton directed. All right. Uh, he plays the granddad that goes with him. And he was in a bunch of other things as well. Fantastic, fantastic actor. God, God rest his soul. He got his start being like playing dumb builders in like plays in the UK. You know, and like that's how he got on television. He was also like, I think, a, a dumb Irish chef in Faulty Towers. I've never watched him, I'm afraid. But like he was saying that was kind of the way you'd, you'd get on television and get a start was kind of playing stupid Irish characters if you were Irish, unless you could kind of get away from the accent but but i suppose because he said well my name was david kelly people knew i was irish so it, it's it was sort it, it that whole kind of dumb irish thing is certainly still there it, well into the the 90s as i said there but certainly in the 60s and 70s this was like the major irish stereotype and even in spike milligan who you know was of irish descent he was proud to be irish he has like famous um on his gravestones he was says in irish i told you i was sick <laughs> Which is a great. And he used to love going on the Late Late Show, but yeah, I take issue with some of his sketches from like the sixties, um, where he really, really portrays the Irish as being stupid. There, there's one in particular about the first Irish astronaut, and it literally shows like guy going into like the unemployment office in Dublin, and he said, "Look for work. Go to Liverpool or Manchester." Was the the, the basic thing they said there, which is kind of a clever critique in a way, I suppose, because it was us exporting our problems, which was not uncommon at the time. But then it goes to like everyone in the office jumping out windows because they hear there's a job going. Oh. And then he's he's stu- like he thinks he's the first Irish astronaut, but in reality he's he's just gone in a he's Michael a, Collins course. <laughs> <laughs> I've never looked for him in space. Oh god, we'll 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 do Mike. We'll have to do like you know uh, Michael Collins in space, and sometimes do. It's like everyone thinks it's a serious serious like astronaut film, and then at the end, then it just halfway through, it just turns into like ro- Robo Alien Dev fighting Michael Collins on the moon. Um, it's gonna be we'll great. Figure it out. But the, the whole point of the the thing is like he, he becomes the first Irish astronaut, and like he's like blowing himself up trying to get into the sky because he's stupid and he's Irish. And then he finally does it, but he's he's just in a, a lift and like an elevator for the first time. He thinks he's gone up to the moon, when rather he's just gone up to like a, someone's house on the top floor. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to separate whether he's kind of making fun. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah. at us or with us you know what I mean like you could say Father Ted is funny kind of calling the Irish stupid but in like 
everyone's in on the joke way. It's hard to know, especially when it's way before our time, what is yeah, but it, it what, what jokes we're in on and what we're not. I don't know if it's like maybe at the time it hit a bit different, but I've seen some of other spikes sketches as well and while I, I i consider he considered himself irish i i'm not going to say that he wasn't um and certainly was very proud of his irish ancestry and that's completely fine um but i've seen some of his other sketches and they are racist i'm not like some some of the bits oh, some of the bits he said like he did like this, this pakistani dalek one um that's definitely racist um he did one about like um a black um postman coming to the door and he opens it and he goes um Oh, this is blackmail. Oh, God. And then um, he goes, do you, do you want a tip? And he goes, what? Use Daz. Wait, now, I, oh, yeah, man. that's, uh, I'm not going to go into how, if you don't know why that's racist, please look it up. I'm not going to, we're not going to get into a thing about that. But while you can get into a whole argument about, well, oh, that was what comedy was like at the time. And it was a bit more racist. Like, yes. I mean, they had a black and white minstrel show on the BBC until what, the late seventies, early eighties. You know, it, it does put into perspective more, right. If that was acceptable and that wasn't seen as being overtly racist, then I find it harder to believe that he wasn't being, even if unintentionally racist against Irish people, that it was still racist and offensive yeah, to I a suppose. certain extent, because if that's because that's like punching down in comedy that is clearly attacking a minority for not being white and English speaking, basically. And you see in a lot of things as well. It's not like, you know, the whole Alf Garner character where it was like um, he's a racist, but that the, the, the joke in the show isn't that he's a massive racist. And it's it's funny the things he says, because some people were laughing at him being, a you know, giving shit to his daughter for marrying an Irish um uh, first generation Irish and getting baptized as a Catholic and saying, like, oh, it's an Irish Catholic church. No, it's, an, it's a Roman Catholic church. Oh, he's going to be a bloody eye toy. So, uh, you know, that kind of narrative. It's funny because he's he's actually out of touch and people are being considered, like people are becoming class and race conscious at this point in the 70s. And you see like very articulate black actors and Pakistani actors or British Indian actors. I'm not sure the correct parlance to use there. Um, and he's just this old, dirty bigoted man when i know the person that played him yeah real actor was you know in, in a jew a jew, british jew and was uh involved in like anti-fascist action really hated everything his character stands for but it was a parody about that but that 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 is still quite prevalent there was still very prevalent in british life at the time it didn't go away so i think it's um yeah so it was really in the the 19th century during the mass emigration of irish people uh that the stage irish persona really kind of became what we know in like modern media. The Irish were poor, uneducated and insular. So they seemed really incompatible with the American society. And due to Americans being the descendants of the original British settlers, their views on the Irish hadn't really changed since the founding of the nation. It was a result of nationalism and nativism that the Irish became a convenient other for Americans as they began to create their own sense of national identity. Having little in the way of skills beyond farming at various trades, some Irish people took to stage shows to make a living as it was well paid and allowed them a degree of separation from the Americans who looked down on them. Here's something that you that I, I warned at the start and you kind of uh, nodded to in your own way, Rob. One yeah. of the worst examples of this was in minstrel shows. Yeah. I, I, I had a feeling some... it was going to go this way, Stu. Because I, I, I know enough yeah. for myself that yeah, this was this was going to come up. Yeah, unfortunately, this is the case. So by relying on some common themes shared by both the Irish and the African-American, when an, Ir- uh, when an Irish man in a black mask 
pined to return to his plantation home to be with his family, it also spoke to the pain Irish people actually felt at leaving their native land. So if you imagine the Irish person is playing uh, an African-American person who wants to go back to their plantation, but they're also finding like a double meaning to the joke. Yeah. Because the Irish person also in reality wants to go back to Ireland. So they like, they found this doubly hilarious, which it is, is and awful. It's, it, it, but you, you kind of see this a lot. And I, I don't want to kind of go too much into it, but there, there, there's this, I remember seeing this in a book in school and it was about discrimination against Irish people, particularly in America. We saw this one and it was like, oh, this example and shows like the skull of like, um, uh, a normal person like you know, just a normal skull and shows all the skull of like uh, a black person and a, like the skull of a chimpanzee and then it like contrasts oh here's a skull of an Irish person as you can see it's it's not quite as bad as uh, distorted and monkey like as the the black person but it's obviously not you know like a good English person and like, they, they show like exaggerated pictures of that then like Irish people with kind of you know massive lips like monkeys and kind of like the whiskers and everything else so they basically saying we're not white and that you know we're oh we're completely yeah. ethnically different at the time saying that we are like the the underclass and everything else so it's not an uncommon trope at all and i mean it was probably the first time in my life when i reading that there's like oh people hate us which is a lovely feeling to have when you're 10 well thankfully i don't think they hate us anymore we're kind of oh up there in terms of people enjoying to meet us at least as you were kind of saying there it it really served to to divide irish people more from both the americans and the african-americans because it was kind of the the americans wouldn't want to be the ones playing the minstrels and so it's like oh well let the irish do it they're kind of lower than us they can kind of yeah act out as african-americans but then at the same time you have the african-americans were like these are souls are mocking us with Mm. with the the minstrel shows so it was really like on both sides they were kind of pushing everyone away to try to find their own niche yeah which was unfortunately a bad niche at the time but it also kind of elevated them in the eyes of the americans as well it's like oh well at least they're kind of mocking the african-americans the way we would so it was a weird thing going on at the time it is and it, it, it in kind of a sense do it was kind of perpetuated for a very long time if you look at like um black people and irish people were like both living in the same kind of you know run down parts of like in new york and chicago in particular and there was there but they weren't like getting on in harmony there was always like a sense of competition and things like that and um animosity between the two of them same like you have between like yeah, irish it wasn't and, part like, of that immigrants. yeah it wasn't part of that the irish were being sent to fight in the civil war because they tended to not have jobs. Yeah. And so they were kind of angry with the African-Americans for having to do that. And so it was, it was a whole thing that we'd have to get onto in a completely separate. We're not getting uh, into that now. Like there's a lot in there. Like I, I do not feel myself and Stu are qualified to go into like race and Ireland and things like that because we're both two white fellas. So we'll may approach that with, you know, we'll leave that a, to the experts, a, a person of color in the future, or maybe an, an expert someone. on it. If you would, if you are an expert on it, like if you've studied this or you'd like to contribute, we'd be more than happy to hear because I think we 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 getting kind of differing Irish perspectives on this podcast is something we. Oh yeah, so PT Barnum back to the racism was also too. a huge influence. <laughs> no, well, there's there's less racism for the the rest of it. There's a tiny bit, but it, it's less, I think. Uh, so PT Barnum was also a huge influence on how Irish people were seen. He knew that the Irish living in America were a huge source of income for him, but also their status as other was ripe for being used to draw crowds of Americans with anti-Irish sentiments. 
Barnum's American Museum in New York depended on Irish customers and so had a scale model of Dublin City, which was surprising, performances of Irish celebrities, plays, lectures, lectures, and exhibits on Irish subjects. So, you know, he was like doing something to kind of draw them in. I think it was in the Five Points district. Yeah, if anyone sees gangs in New York, they'll be very familiar with that. Yeah. However, it also depicted Irish people as savages and other derogatory stereotypes like lazy and violent. So he used these displays to show how uh, the Irish were actually assimilating as well and so becoming less Irish. Yeah. Which was an interesting thing. It take. is interesting. It, it It's kind of weird, you know. I mean, this kind of shows how being racist is weird as well because you, they're not even... Yeah, consi- he's playing like they're, both sides. Yeah, they're not even consistent in their racism. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, <laughs> there, there was one one part of the, the American Museum he said that on a specific St. Patrick's Day, the place was full of Irish people and uh, some Americans as well. And so he, he the only way he could get more people in was to get some people out. So he put up a sign on one of the exits saying that there was more out here to tr- trick Irish people to like wander out. And of course, when they were outside, they were outside and they weren't being allowed back in. Yeah, it's it's just like, what even is that? Like, it's, it's just lazy. Yeah. It's lazy stereotyping. It's just... It just pisses me off. I mean, it's all, it's just. I know. Oh, it's, it, I know. It's like in the past. It, I know, but it, it. As I was saying earlier, it like still perpetuates things that still exist today. So it's just. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, it gets way lazier. So the Irish were also featured heavily in freak shows and sideshows. They were portrayed as being less evolved than others in a modern yeah. world, and coming from a savage land where superstition, fairies, and magic were still believed. Well, we'll see about that, Stu. <laughs> I'll, tell the le- we'll get I'll get the, the leprechauns after. after him go down to the fairy fort let's see him cross me then <laughs> yeah so the Irish would regularly be shown in freak shows playing as American Indians Bushmen and Zulus which is another terrible terrible thing oh dear God. while the audience may not have the, the audience may not have believed that they were in fact from these cultures they did see the Irish as savages and so were still entertained by the shows so it's like this weird thing where they were acting out these but they still knew that they were savages themselves, and yep. so it was fine to do it that way. Your, your dog's getting in the podcast, is is she or he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, give me two seconds. I'll just check what's going on. Grant, you're fine. Oh, good. Anyway, he's just going mad. Oh, Grant, no. <laughs> right, where was I? Um, I think if you done PT Barnum, you were. Oh, you have it, Grant. They even played on things like the famine, having oh. the skeleton dude, oh, the man named John Coffey who was an emaciated man suffering from muscle atrophy. So he just happened to be Irish and happened to have this this uh, muscle atrophy. And was like, oh yeah, we'll call him the skeleton dude. That's really, really punching down. Jesus, that's bad. Oh yeah. And they dressed him up as an English dandy for that. So, you know, oh, even better. Uh, there was Jeremiah Daly, who was an albino man from Offaly, who played the Illin Pipes. <laughs> so it was like, oh, he's, you know, a savage. He's like white hair and white skin and he's these red eyes. Just, they were really just, just playing up whatever they could. I'm sorry, that just sounds really funny. <laughs> I mean, it does a bit, but, you know, it's still kind of, you're like, I don't want to enjoy this, but I might. No, because, you know, like, if if you, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there are albino people in Ireland. I think I've met one or two of them. But you, you know full well if uh, one of them thought he could make a fiver off this, he'd absolutely do that kind of crack. Oh, yeah, just going around playing the island pipes. Uh, we also had James Hugh Murphy Jr., who was from Waterford, and he was the colossal Irish giant. 
He was billed at eight feet tall, but he was actually just over seven foot tall and had a pituitary gigantism. And so using him, they'd kind of, they'd recreate stories like Fionn McCool uh, fighting the Giants. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, th- I think um, there there was, I think one of the tallest people ever was an Irish giant in like the early 1800s. Um, I think I've seen a skeleton in like London, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but, from what yeah, I some, read, like there, there was like there was some like genetic strain of gigantism in Ireland for a while. Um, yeah. I was mentioned in that story to my dad, and he actually said that there was a story of um, uh, a king who only employed giants as his his uh, personal protection, and so he apparently kidnapped an Irish lad who was who had gigantism. Oh, bloody! bloody took him off to be. So if I can find that story, that might be the basis for another report. If we, if we have enough information yeah, to do a nice little story on him. Um, but uh, re- regarding the the gigantic people. I did post on our Twitter. I know you saw it yesterday, Rob. Just a yeah, an advertisement from PT Barnum Circus with the Irish giant and gigantess and baby. <laughs> it is family of giants. I think the baby was born at like twenty pounds oh, and two foot tall. <laughs> That's that poor mother. <laughs> I know, right? It's like you know, it's like, but it was just fascinating to me that somehow, like, the word Irish had to be in there. It wasn't just that your man was over seven foot tall. It was that he was seven foot tall and Irish. Yeah, double whammy. Somehow, somehow. The Irish also gravitated towards circus work. As strong men, they would juggle cannonballs and perform other feats of strength, which further reinforced the concept of this savage strength that we apparently had. Uh, you also had gymnasts like the six O'Hanlon brothers who would perform feats of athleticism while incorporating slapstick gags, uh, adding to the clownish perception that we had. And of course, talking clownish, we also had a lot of clowns. Even some very famous clowns happened to be Irish back in the day. Uh, as many of the the aspects of the clowns' performance were also like attributes that they had given to Irish people. Yeah. So you had like baggy clothes, stumbling walk, clumsiness, stupidity, and affable nature. It, it, it were really familiar. It, between clowns and the drunken paddy. Very much like a mu- music hall and like vaudeville in, in the UK as well and kind of the, the 20s and 30s, you know, having the kind of um, uh, Irish character like maybe do a few jokes or things like that and would act a bit silly. Like very much the plenty, it would kind of be like the, the more jokey bit of the performance would be kind of very common there. Oh, yeah. Pl- plenty of people oh, uh, kind of got in a minute. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. So uh, another little thing that I, I just wanted to point out as well, we also did a bit of the Wild West shows. So, uh, we tended to have uh, just a, we were skilled really at the, the types of shooting and stuff that they wanted for that. And uh, one of the most famous, of course, being a man named Will Rogers, who was born Frank Butler. And that man was a sharpshooter who married Anne Lee Oakley. Ah, cool. So, you know, a bit of a claim to fame there. That's good. But, uh, that, yeah, just we, you know, we, we did whatever we could to, to make a living, and a lot of the times it wasn't great. Yeah, well, we did what we had to do to get by because we were kind of, you know... Oh, definitely. Had to leave our own country. But you can see where, like, these kind of... These, yeah, you can see how these tropes have kind of just come all the way back from theatre all the way up through uh, our immigration to America and kind of really cemented themselves there. Yeah. So then Vaudeville, which was the last stop before the silent film era, uh, where... They had a lot of other stage Irish tropes. Uh, many Americans actually took Irish names for these performances, including the parents of one Buster Keaton. That's right. Where his father, yeah, his father would play a drunk Irish man and toss his six-year-old son 
around the stage. <laughs> ah, it was the it was the nineteen twenties. It was a different time. Yeah, clearly, but yeah, it's just it's funny that even Buster Keaton got in on the old uh, Irish stereotyping. Yeah, paddying up. I mean, Buster Keaton was the massive star of it. I mean, really, can he, he's taught Charlie Chaplin everything he needed to know. So, as silent films became the popular medium of entertainment, the use of the stage Irish grew even more. Uh, over 500 films about the Irish were made in America before 1930. Oh, that sounds lovely. I'm sure they were all very, uh, very nice about us, weren't they? Yeah, like it, it just shows uh, how ingrained that kind of the, the stage Irishman was in American society. I mean, uh, with that statistic, it said like that's more than Ireland has ever produced film-wise. Yeah. So like back when they were still black and white and didn't have sound, they made more movies about Irish people than the Irish people have made themselves ever. Yeah, that mightn't be the best thing in the world, um, but maybe it was. Uh, probably I don't not. think so, considering <laughs> that most of them probably were using all of the, the crap that we've been talking about, making us out to be drunken yeah. and everything else. So through the silent films, it, uh, it was shown that the characters, the character was Irish by having anything said appear kind of slurred and phonetical in the Irish style to convey so you know that like even though they're silent films they're still kind of making them irish as best they can through the uh the the word panels that they had yeah that's kind of this um yeah so it, as the silent film became the talkie irish americans uh became a larger part of american culture as a whole and so the more derogatory views of ireland kind of lessened i suppose the next major major film that we've actually talked about before that showed Ireland would have been The Quiet Man, which mm. uh, we both watched and it's enjoyed good. in its own way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it does have some of the stereotypes, but I mean, not in a, I mean, listen to our review of it if you want, but I mean, it didn't, it didn't go overboard with it and it felt genuine in a lot of places to us. So, I mean, I, I, I took no issue with it in, in terms of that, really. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you have that, the, the, the well-educated, and wealthy Irish American coming back to Ireland and finding it mostly backwards, uh, with drunken Irish everywhere, strange ways of doing things, and really thick, heavy Irish accents. So you know, it's kind of it is. It's still there, but it's not as bad. And I think you know we both watched the films too, and I, I think that while we did call out some of the the more you know overtly paddying up scenes, if you will, overall it's not unrealistic. I'd say in a lot of regards for for when it was set. Um, so of course, yeah, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't think it, it's good. I, it's a good film. I mean, I, I, I will say it's not a hundred percent accurate, but, but it's a movie. Then we pretty much get up to modern times, where we have the likes of Wild Mountain Time coming out, uh, Far and Away, which I've already mentioned, that still use those those things. Um, some little bits that I didn't kind of really have time to mention would be obviously part of the Irish coming over to America was that we were Catholics yeah. in a majority Protestant country, uh, which would have also added to the kind of the, the hatred for Irish people at the time. Yeah. Uh, it, and we've touched and on in it terms of before, I think talking a little bit about religion, but it was very much, it's the same kind of with a lot of the Italian immigrants that were coming over there as well. Um, because they were kind of being thrown into the same kind of Catholic thing. Oh, they're, you know, crazy superstitious with their Catholicism. They're, they're not worshipping God. They're worshipping like um, uh, statues of different saints. They're praying to the saints and not God. It's a, a adultery. 
idolatry, not adultery, uh, <laughs> to be clear. And it's like, oh, the Pope is like crazy and they, they don't use the right version of the Bible, you know, and all this stuff. So very, very much a common trope that was being thrown, not just against the Irish, but I suppose with the everything else it was just kind of another another stick to beat us with yeah and uh the other thing that kind of contributed to the whole uh stage irish like as it is now in movies is this weird thing where a lot of americans got ireland and scotland confused quite a lot yeah and so that's where you get like this these weird accents that that really don't fit anywhere between the two countries i know uh when i was uh backpacking i met an american girl from georgia i believe and uh, she, lovely, lovely girl. She was really nice. She actually gave me her Netflix for a while, which was great for me while I was traveling on my own. But uh, she, she was, she thought that the movie Brave, the Pixar movie Brave, was about Ireland. And so, it, it's not as uncommon as you think that people get the two confused, which technically I get, but it's obviously still annoying. It is. Um, yeah, but see, I suppose I was trying to think. Um, I didn't have as much time to do the, the level of research either. I mean, that was really, really interesting. Thank you for putting so much work into it um, because I've got my exams at the moment. I, I can't quite match that, but we're definitely going to come back to some of these things in the future. Um, I'd like to do the, the EastEnders episodes where they go to Ireland as its own thing in the future. Uh, there's actually quite a few actors that were in Father Ted in it, including Pat Laffin doing a, a very, very similar Pat Mustard kind of a role. So I think it might be worth a bit of a a bit of an outlook. But there, I, I was kind of trying to, to find something that, uh, about... Um, the kind of more modern interpretations of this and I had kind of an idea at the back of my head from something I saw a couple of years back which kind of shows ignorance by English people not not all of them of course but um, <laughs> about <laughs> look we know it's there yeah about one thing in particular and um, so I found this article in the Irish Times by Seamus O'Reilly from 2017 which was about the thing I was thinking about and it's called Apes, Psychos, Alcos How British Cartoonists Depict the Irish Um, this also opens up with a thing from The Punch magazine which was very much a popular magazine in the British kind of oeuvre in the uh, 1800s that depicts like the the Young Ireland Party as a gorilla with uh, you know pickled cabbage and vitriol and bottles next to him so that's wonderfully oh lovely so it's this is specifically about one cartoon in particular and it was one that I remembered and it just showed how completely wrong you can get it. And it, it's, it's, it's incredible that you can get this something so wrong. So I'm, to give a little bit of context here, this is 2017. This is right after the um, British uh, general election in 2017. So they, they'd had a um, Brexit had been voted through in 2016. They had had an election in 2015. The Conservative Party had won a majority in their own right. They didn't need to keep in a coalition with the, the Liberal Democrats anymore. They ran on a platform of, if we win, we're going to have a referendum on leaving the EU, you know, Brexit as people called it. And no one really thought that they'd have a chance of winning on their own. They did. David Cameron called the, was Prime Minister, called the referendum. People were shocked when Brexit went through. Obviously, later that year, Donald Trump got elected as well. So 2016 was a, a year of shocks. <laughs> um, well, then Theresa May became prime minister after David Cameron resigned and she had to uh, try and, well, get the, the UK to leave the European Union, which still technically hasn't fully happened yet. It won't until next month. Um, so she decided it wasn't really working out now. She had a, a bit of a majority, but it wasn't really working. So two of her advisors said, why don't you just call an election and kind of be like, you know, Labour Labour Party are being led by Jeremy Corbyn and it's um he's very 
be unpopular, like his own party were trying to overthrow him as leader. So this is probably the best time to do it. You can basically run by saying, you know, give us a stronger mandate to get Brexit done and everything else. So in the end, they actually lose seats and lose their majority, Stu, as I, you, you might remember, and went down to just under the threshold that they needed for a majority of seats. So they had to cut a deal with the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party from Northern Ireland. Um, and we've talked a little bit about unionism and this thing before, but basically they, they're quite a, they were founded by Ian Paisley in the 1970s. They were a central unionist position, i.e. Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom and should stay that way. Uh, they're seen as being more of a hardline unionist party than the, the Ulster Unionist Party. They're generally seen as being very religious. A lot of them are in, were in Ian Paisley's uh, free Presbyterian church. So they're, you know, teetotal. They don't work on Sundays. Like Theresa May was negotiating with them to get their ten votes on her side, they couldn't. They couldn't meet on a Sunday because they refused to work on the Sabbath. Uh, <laughs> which is, I know, I know, but it, it, it's a bit crazy. But they eventually cut a deal, which was um, that the ten DUP would support Theresa May in comforts and supplies, it's called, and. In response, they basically got a, a massive amount of funding for Northern Ireland. I think it was about uh, 10, 11 billion pounds to, to like get new infrastructure in Northern Ireland and everything else. So basically every MP that was voting for her was basically getting over a billion pounds worth of stuff each, if you will. So that's not, not a bad deal, is it? But that's the deal she had to cut because she lost her majority. Now, I apologize for the big info dump I've just given there, but that's in, it's important context. It's very important context for the next thing I'm about to talk about, because that's the DUP, Stu. They're Northern Irish. They do not consider themselves, well, some of them might consider themselves Irish and British, but certainly they consider themselves Northern Irish, British. They would want to stay part of the United Kingdom. They're certainly not of any other position. So the cartoonist Mac, uh, no, no relation, I presume, in the Daily Mail, um, published a cartoon in 2017 uh, about this. And so it shows a bar, a pub, with a bar lady who looks very like Theresa May behind it. And it shows a sign in the bar that says free Guinness for life. And it shows people looking like Ardian Foster and several members of the DUP lying unconscious on the ground with a load of empty glasses of Guinness in front of them. Now, oh God, this 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 actually you have to unpack this for a second. Because firstly, this is an, um, an anti-Irish stereotype that we're all drunkards. And, you know, Theresa May could actually just bribe us with Guinness, uh, uh, you know, to get us on board. Secondly, it takes a level of ignorance because the DUP would not consider themselves Irish. They are, some of them, not all of them are, you know, don't drink. Some of them do, certainly, but not all of them do. Um, they certainly wouldn't be rolling around drunk in public, from what I can uh, understand. So this is just like an incredibly ignorant is really the main word i'd use cartoon that has a basic lack of understanding of who the democratic unionist party are uh what the situation in northern ireland is and just using a lazy irish stereotype of al- alcoholism and that's still prevalent in like the, this is in the daily mail now which is you know a british right-wing reactionary newspaper if you don't mind me saying i i, I wouldn't read it i consider it a rag not great journalism if you do read it and listen to us please i, I do offer you to uh you know what 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 i'm missing out by not reading it um but it, I, I think it was just something i wanted to talk about because when i was thinking about depictions of irish people and while this isn't stage irish it, it's very much a political kind of thing but it was one of the, the things that the most recent kind of big thing i'd seen that 
had these old lazy stereotypes and also a level of ignorance there as well. That just was mind-blowing. If he Googled who the DUP were, yeah, clearly. he would understand that that didn't make any sense. But no, the, the readers of the Daily Mail, Kerry, would be find that kind of thing hilarious and they'd still continue. So. so I think that'll just about finish us up for this week. Yep. Uh, next week, wink, we will do the movie The Field, based on the play by John B. Keane. Yep. One of, one of my so favourite ones as you may have heard from be, our uh, previous uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully that'll be a lovely one to, to talk about. Yeah, um, so I, I'll be off to do some exams next week, Stu, so I think everything will hopefully work out okay. Fingers crossed. I think everyone's rooting for yeah, you. Yeah, well, I mean, I because the restrictions are up, I, I, do, I do get to go back to Dublin for a bit to, to see it. So, I mean, it's not so bad. It's nice to kind of get away for a bit in a safe and controlled manner. Yeah, definitely. Right, so I think that's that's uh, everything for now. Um, but, uh, yeah. I think that's about it, really. So, um, guys, if you enjoyed this show, uh, we, this was a bit different, but it's a topic we've wanted to kind of talk about for a while. Um, we'll, we'll certainly be kind of continuing in, in kind of things about this, of course, because this is broadly the idea of our podcast, but specifically we, we're, we're going to might review that EastEnders thing in the future and a couple of other things that came up in this as well, certainly. I might actually show us too, those Spike Milligan sketches I was referring to and a few other bits and kind of get his reaction to it. Um, we might include that in the future. Oh, uh, they're, they're pretty bad, but uh, that's great. If you have any opinions on this or there's anything you, you've maybe felt that we got wrong in this one in particular, we want to be a bit careful there. Um, you can give us a shout. You can give us your feedback. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at BlarneyPod. You can also email us at TalkingBlarneyPod at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this, uh, please tell a friend. We do really appreciate uh, you doing that, guys. Um, your feedback is much appreciated. So that's uh, goodbye for me anyway. Sloan, and we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.